Cue sappy music. Hey there, Fighting for the Faith podcast listener. Just want to remind you at the top of the program here that Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. You know, no, the music isn't working. Kill the music. Yeah, sorry. I see other guys who use sappy music. I, uh, bad idea. Remind me to talk to you after the program. Anyway, just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions to keep bringing this program to you. If you don't support us financially already, visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on one of the friendly yellow buttons. Fill it all out. You know what to do. Or if you would like to do the traditional thing, you can make your check payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Okay, now you can play your music. Yeah. Enjoy listening to the program. I enjoyed making it. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Here we go. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, November 6th, 2012. And no, we're not going to talk about the election. It's not what Fighting for the Faith is about. It's a This is an election-free zone. Unless, of course, William Papley is trying to weigh in on stuff, but... I figure, why on earth would I want to compete with CNN, Fox News, and your local stations regarding coverage regarding the election? That's not why people tune into this program. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment. That's what we're all about. Not politics, but biblical discernment. The goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Okay, today's edition of Fighting for the Faith, we're not going to talk about politics, but what what you're going to hear today is going to, it may step on your toes. It may rattle your theological cage. It may make you uncomfortable. It may expose your idols and slaughter them mercilessly. Yeah, that's what could happen today at Fighting for the Faith. And, and, and to kind of set this up properly, let me ask you a question. I think I mentioned this in previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, but um, in the last two installments that we've done here at Fighting for the Faith um, regarding Joel Osteen's theology, do you think that Joel Osteen's theology would lead to somebody being martyred, martyred for their faith, you know, actually die? Okay, because in Joel Osteen's theology, I mean, suffering is supposedly the effect of bad words that you've said that created a negative reality. And the solution is for you to say things like, I am strong, I am, I am powerful, I am intelligent, I am talented. See, the reason I ask the question is because today, earlier today, I invited in studio here at the uh, Secret Pirate Christian Cave uh, in, in landlocked central Indiana. I invited into studio two gentlemen, uh, not of the same theological stripe that I am. Uh, they, uh, Michael Glenn Bell and Dwayne Arnold. Okay, You may be familiar with them. Um, they recently have just concluded and released what's called the Martyrs Project. The Martyrs Project. And the fascinating thing about this particular project is that it's theologically provocative in the sense that it sticks out like a sore thumb 
in the in the general um, milieu of broader music and and stuff put out there uh, in the world of uh, American evangelicalism. It's 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 runs completely against the grain of the sappy self help. Uh, me-centered, quote, Christianity, unquote, that uh, we experience on a day-to-day basis and critique here at Fighting for the Faith. Now, I want to make something clear. The the reason why I invited Michael Glenn Bell and Dwayne Arnold into studio was not to have a debate with them, okay? Dwayne Arnold is an Anglican. Uh, Michael Glenn Bell is a Methodist. I am a confessional Lutheran. That being said, there are going to be areas of um, theological difference between the three of us that you will detect during the conversation. That being said, it was not my goal or intention to challenge them if they said something that I disagree, that I disagreed with. Now, the purpose of the conversation was to discuss the Martyrs Project, this album that they've just released. Um, and to discuss the concept of martyrs and um, and how this concept, this historical fact, somehow is lost and not even remotely compatible with the current teaching that is going on in many of the megachurches and broadly in American evangelicalism, which has become crossless, Christless, and extremely narcissistic and me-centered. Okay? That being said, also, it's important for you to know that um, they are the ones who put this project together, and they chose the martyrs that they would um, feature in their album. And what they've done is they, you know, and you'll hear this in the interview, is that uh, Dwayne Arnold has written a book regarding the prayers of the martyrs, which kind of like are the last things that the martyrs have said in their life. And they've set those, you know, these martyrs' prayers to music and then invited different Christian musicians and artists to record these songs, okay? Now, that being said also, it's important to note that you may not agree with every martyr who is featured on this album. You may not agree that they should be featured as a martyr because, you know, there's um, people who, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who is considered a martyr in this uh, in this album. Also, Roman Catholic Archbishop Oscar Romero is featured here as a martyr. Now, you may not agree that he should be in the list. That's not the point, though, okay? Regardless of whether or not you agree with who was featured as a martyr on this album, this is a provocative and important album for the very reason that it sticks out so badly right now, and it ought not be this way, okay? Historically, in the historic Orthodox Christian faith, martyrs were a reality. Martyrs and their stories were understood and told. And, and not only that, they, martyrdom is, has always been considered a very real, a very real possibility for anybody who confesses Christ as Lord and Savior, and has been brought to repentance and faith and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. This has been the, the reality in Christianity since Christianity came on the scene. But now, now here in the United States of America and abroad in general evangelicalism, the, the predominant false theology that is taking hold and become the mainstream thinking and preaching within the visible church 
It's not compatible with the concept of martyrdom at all. And that's why I invited Michael Glenn Bell and Dwayne Arnold to discuss this project. So what, we're, what I'm going to do here in just a minute is I'm going to play the, uh, the interview that I recorded earlier today with uh, Michael Glenn Bell and Dwayne Arnold regarding their, their project called The Martyrs Project. And keep in mind, you're going to hear things that you will disagree with. Furthermore, you may be frustrated in this interview because you're thinking, well, Chris, you have an Anglican in studio with you, or you have a Methodist. Shouldn't you guys be discussing the differences that you have in your... That's not the purpose of this interview. It's not the purpose at all. This isn't a debate. This isn't a a debate between the differences between confessional Lutheranism and Anglicanism or Methodism or anything like that. This conversation is about discussing a bigger problem in general, visible evangelicalism in Christianity right now. And that is that we have a predominant theology that doesn't discuss martyrs. And the reason why is because Christianity has become all about me, all about you, rather than all about Christ and confessing him. So, with all of that in mind... Here is my interview earlier today with Michael Glenn Bell and Dwayne Arnold regarding The Martyrs Project. All right, in studio, this is kind of a rare thing for me having guests in studio. In studio, I have Dwayne Arnold and um, Michael Glenn Bell who uh, have put together a project called The Martyrs Project. You can find this at themartyrsproject.com. And it's, well, we're going to talk about what this is here. Uh, it's this is way out of step with what's going on in much of evangelicalism, and it's a little bit of a throwback to a concept that not a lot of people talk about in Christianity today, and that's the martyrs. Uh, welcome in studio at the Pirate Christian Radio. Thank you so much, Chris. Good to be here. Thank you. All right, so you guys called me up, and uh, we talked last week uh, about this martyrs project, and uh, went to your website. And this was another one of those moments for me where what you guys were, uh, what you guys are up to, other people have done similar things, just seems so completely out of step with the mainstream of what's come to be known as American evangelicalism that I had to have you guys in studio to talk about it. Let's talk about this project of yours. What's the Martyrs Project and why is this important today and why are you guys even doing this? Well, it started as a result of a book that I had written uh, back in the 90s, <clears throat> which is called The Prayers of the Martyrs. Mm-hmm. And I had originally done it as sort of a translation project. I wanted to keep my languages up, and so I was looking for something in the Greek, Syriac, Coptic, that I would just be able to translate in small snippets. Uh, after a time, I had a full file folder of these, and uh, the folk at HarperCollins, um, my editor there thought that it would make a great book. And uh, Madeline Langle, who is a friend of mine in New York uh, at the time, uh, wrote the foreword to it. Okay. And uh, so it was published and had a very good life, went through several printings uh, and is translated into, I think, nine languages uh, uh, at the present time. And through all of this, um, I started... uh, after I'd returned to the United States from Europe, getting back in touch with old friends. 
And I tracked down my old friend Michael, who had worked together with me in a church for almost a decade. And uh, we hadn't really talked uh, or gone over things. So I invited Michael to come and stay in my home and for us to sort of reconnect. And uh, he came uh, one autumn day with his guitar and uh, came and spent uh, a few days with me. Maybe you take it from there, Michael. Sure. Uh, reconnecting with Dwayne was real significant kind of at a point in my life because I had done so much with him 30 years previous with music. Uh, we had We had done a lot in the contemporary Christian music scene in the 70s with Randy Stonehill and Phil Keggy and who who I had traveled with these folks and and they had stayed in our faith community with Dwayne and I and uh, so my music back then was very active and passionate and I kept it going through the decades mm-hmm. uh, and uh when I reconnected with Duane, he said, what are you doing with your music? Because it was so alive back then, and we had so much going. And I said, well, I've pretty much given up on, on my music. It's not going anywhere. I'm, I'm just concentrating on instrumental guitar compositions. Mm-hmm. And he said, that's a shame. And he as we talked, he said, how are you lyrically? I said, well, uh, not very good. And as we were talking, he said, you know, I have this book called Prayers of the Martyrs, and what if you took those prayers when you go back home and put them to music? And he challenged me to do that, Mm -hmm. took up the challenge, went back and music just started coming to me for these prayers mm-hmm. and as they as i started composing and i would send them uh, duane music files of well this is what i put together for ignatius of antioch mm-hmm. or clement of rome or uh his prayer this is this is my ideas for it and we'd collaborate and we started writing together right and after a while said this I think has legs. Why don't we get in touch with our old friends, Randy Stonehill and Phil Keggy and um, others that uh, we kind of brainstormed of who we kind of fantasized about. Let's let's get put an album together right. of these songs that we've composed and these martyrs' prayers, and it started happening. We started. Yeah, getting in touch with them and started recording. Okay. And that's uh, that's kind of how it came together. So let me see if I have this straight. Martyrs' Prayers. Okay. So yes. you, you've translated, you've got this book that has prayers of people who've literally been killed. For their faith in Christ. For their faith in Christ. And there's prayers that pertain to their martyrdom. Many of them were actually their last words. Okay. Uh, and uh, recorded as such, uh, when Thomas Beckett uh, was killed at the uh, choir steps of mm-hmm. Canterbury Cathedral, 
um, there were uh, writings put out within weeks, okay. literally, by eyewitnesses who were there who heard what he said, who heard what he prayed. Mm-hmm. And I'm a church historian by, by background and by training, but once again, we've always been involved in music. And funnily enough, many of the martyrs have not only this dying for their faith, many of them die with their communities, many of them die on behalf of their communities. Right. Um, where there's a also a very large social justice component to what has happened. Okay, now that just that phrase social justice is is a politically charged word now. Yes it is. And so when we're talking about social justice we're talking not in the marxian concept no. of social justice. We're talking about justice as a christian virtue. Okay. Um what is it that God requires of you? Mhm. Right. To do justly, walk humbly. Mhm. Um, what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. Yes. Jesus said uh, at that last day when people say, when did we feed you? When did we give you water? Mm-hmm. In that you have done it unto the least of these, my brethren. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't agree with everything that, say, I'm going to read maybe in Sojourners. Mm-hmm. But I don't think one can look at the Bible as a whole without seeing a bias to the poor. Right. It's just there. And in the early Christian communities, well, not even so early, all the way up through, you find Christian leaders with a bias to the poor who look at their congregations, and many of the congregations are made up of people... They're not the wise of this world. Mm-hmm. They're not the wealthy of this world. Right. They are people whom nobody else seems to love. We love them. We love them because of Christ. Right. It's a given. Right. And I think it's also important to note that, I mean, even, you know, in church history, in the book of Acts, with the, the first challenge to the gospel itself coming from the Pharisees and them adding to it works. But, you know, so the Council of Jerusalem, you have the affirmation of salvation by grace alone through faith alone and an admonition to care for the poor. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And so as we looked at all of these folk, we felt that they also had something to say to the church today. Mm Mm-hmm. And certainly had something to say to contemporary Christian music as it is currently being expressed. Right. Which is a far cry from what we knew in the day. Right. We, in fact, we talked about this prior to coming on the air, and that is, is that in the course of our lifetimes, I mean, all of us in this room can remember back to to the 80s and you know when christian rock and roll was just coming onto the scene and it hadn't taken on the industry business dynamics that it has now yes and you know the artists were rough ragged countercultural in your face and, and and in some ways in you know kind of a you know it was a stretched definition of the word prophetic 
in the way that they would speak to people and the way they, they would mm-hmm. hold the mirror up to us to show us our sins and call us to repentance. I, I think that's a missing element in much of, uh, you know, contemporary Christian music. Very much so. I mean, in, in the day, there was an authenticity mm-hmm. about it. Um, Larry Norman was a person with more quirks than one could imagine. <laughs> right. No doubt. Yeah. We all know him uh-huh. or knew him. Um, on the other hand, he was an authentic, an authentic human being in a very real way. Right. Um, people like John Michael Talbot um, in their beginnings were prophetic. Prophetic not just with contemporary Christian music, but prophetic when he became a Roman Catholic with the liturgy. Mm-hmm. Um, these challenged the assumptions of the status quo. Right. Currently, there is no challenge. Let's face it. This is Christian entertainment now. Yeah, you're right. There and. I don't think I mean, with the way the industry is set up, how does one challenge the establishment cur- currently? Now it is weird because we're talking in these terms, and usually these are terms that are used by people who have left-wing politics. But it's weird finding that you know we're now dealing with an established entertainment culture within Christianity, and asking a question that you guys pose. Which no one is asking. I mean, when you first pull into your website, themartyrsproject.com, the question you're, you're confronted with a red cross, mm-hmm. and the question is, what would you die for? I don't hear Christian pastors, not, not many, few, who would preach a Christianity that someone would die for. Christianity is no longer about taking up a cross and following Christ in many places, Christianity has become something where, where God or Jesus is a means to a an end, and that end is my best life now, or um, you know, a, a self-actualized, purpose-driven life where you know I, I've got 3.5 well-behaved children. I've got a job that I'm continuing to get, you know, you know, <laughs> climb the ladder at and, and feeling my influence growing. Um, my wife and I are having just spectacular sex, but nothing about coming and dying. The idea of dying for Christianity mm-hmm. seems out of place with so many of the themes that we're hearing preached about. Mm-hmm. When uh, I started to put together music to go with the prayers of these martyrs from Duane's book, it really challenged my own spiritual life in a way that I hadn't been challenged in three decades mm-hmm. by. And it took me back <clears throat> to my, kind of my own roots in my my spiritual journey, which was I in our faith community when Dwayne and I were on the same staff of this church and uh, we used to study the church fathers right and we would incorporate studies of church fathers in bible studies in in our worship in everything and I mean we we loved the church fathers because they had 
a passion. Right. There was a passion there, the early passion of the early church. Mm-hmm. So it really confronted me with, uh, you know, what is my Christianity about? And also it, it came down to, in fact, at one point, Dwayne said, Michael, you are a Christian. And I said, yes, I am. And it really angers me because I, you know, I hadn't really been confronted with that anywhere mm-hmm. uh, in the culture, in my life, and even in my church, my faith communities. Uh, and and so it kind of got me back to my basics. Mm-hmm. And I started looking at what the martyrs uh, died for in their context in church history. And, you know, it wasn't a lot of them. It, it was a thing, you know, will you worship this and renounce your faith? I mean, there was, there was a lot of that. Right. But some of them, it was, I'm standing up for the truth. I'm, I'm, I'm just doing my calling, what God has called me to do. And that means standing up against this power, this authority, uh, this falsity, right. this whatever. And they were called, passionate, and it made me examine my own my own spiritual journey. I, I, th- I think you really can see that, and not to introduce a controversial note into it, but with somebody like Oscar Romero, yeah, mm-hmm. um, it's very easy for people who do not know of the man to simply say, oh, well, wasn't he a liberation theologian? And the fact of the matter is, no, he wasn't. <laughs> um, he was chosen to become the archbishop of El Salvador because he was safe. He was scholarly, safe. Mm-hmm. Um, he had studied in Rome. Uh he wasn't going to trouble the waters in terms of the government. Mm-hmm. After he was consecrated as archbishop, his very good friend, uh, Retiro Grande, who was a Jesuit, was on his way to a baptism. He was pulled out of his vehicle and he was shot. Right. Now, this had a profound effect on Romero, of course, and it opened his eyes to a situation where if you were a priest helping the poor, you were an enemy of the government. Right. To the point there was a phrase in El Salvador in that time, be a patriot, kill a priest. Right. Now. So that's the context for Oscar Romero. Yes. Mm -hmm. And you say, well, why was he then killed? Um, The most immediate cause of his death was not simply standing up for the poor, standing up for the campesinos. But the day before on a balcony, he gave a speech in which he spoke to the soldiers in the army. And he said... The law of God is, thou shalt not kill. Right. Stop the killing. 
stop the killing. He knew what it meant when he said that. And the next day, he was at a small hospital chapel, and right after he had elevated the chalice, an assassin from outside the church shot him down right. at the altar and killed him. Um, it's a modern-day Beckett story. Right. This isn't, this isn't ancient history. No. 1980. This is 1980. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the next, in the next week when his funeral took place, at which the estimates are anywhere who you believe 100,000 to 150,000 people came into the streets of San Salvador for the funeral. Right. The government troops set up machine guns and were throwing hand grenades in the crowd. Hmm. Um, so you start to say, well, was he a martyr for a political cause rather than for Christ? No. He was a martyr for Christ. It came out of his view of the world that Christ had given him. Right. Um, and it's an amazing story. Yeah. No, and it's it's one that would challenge any of us today. Mm-hmm. Any of us today because I mean, let's let's be blunt. The United States is as murderous and more murderous than any atheistic fascist regime. 55 million unborn children mm-hmm. have been murdered mm-hmm. clinically. Mm-hmm. Systematically. Mm-hmm. No voice, no vote. And while we're just debating it politically, but this is not at its core a political issue. This is something that is much deeper than that. This goes back to the heart of his message, which he got from God. Thou yes. shalt not kill. And and it's a matter of, we knew the phrase, but uh, it's a matter of speaking truth to power. Yeah. And it's very easy for us to talk about truth to power, speaking truth to power, when we're very comfy mm-hmm. doing it. Right. It's another thing when you say, if I go out and say this, the chances are I will be killed. Right. That becomes a different issue. And it's no different than what uh, Thomas Beckett did. Again, for the independence of the church, that the church had its own rule of life according to the gospel that politicians could not interfere with. Right. He gave his life. Yep. That's martyrdom. Right. It's a witness. Well, martyria. Uh, yeah. Witness. It is a witness. Yeah. It's the ultimate witness. Yes. You know, and um, Jesus said to the disciples, you will be my witnesses, not witnesses of yourselves, but my witnesses. And the Greek word martyreo literally means witness. And so this is where we get the word martyr from. It's the ultimate witness of Christ by somebody who loses their life and participates in the sufferings of Jesus in this life, and experiences the same fate that he experienced. Yes, and and I think what you had uh, indicated earlier when you 
were quoting the the verse about uh, taking up your cross. You know, in the first century, if you saw someone carrying a cross, mm-hmm. there was only one place they were going That's to. Right. That's right. And it wasn't a self-actualization party. Nope. Mm-hmm. No. They were going to their death. I mean, it, it's we've lost this. We've lost this. Mm-hmm. Okay. At the time of, 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 you know, when Christianity emerges on the scene, Christ is crucified and bodily raised from the dead. Okay. In the Roman Empire, at that time, crucifixion was a reality throughout the empire. And to have to see a, a body, dead one, or a, a poor soul suffering and experiencing a languishing and painful death that the Romans had perfected in its exquisite ex, you know, exacting of pain from mm-hmm. the victim, mm-hmm. okay? That's the context. That's the reality where Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Yes. The the essence of being a Christian, I mean, as Dwayne and I have talked, is dying to yourself, giving it up. I, you know, when I, in my Christian journey, Mm -hmm. it's giving up my life, uh, serving others, uh, you know, sacrifice of praise, a sacrifice of, you know, giving up things for the sake of Christ and for the the church. And it and it flies in the face of so much that's out there right now. You know, it's the idea that somehow worship, if we go to a worship experience. Whatever that means. Yes. It is, in my mind, what I see a lot of now is it is manipulative. Mm-hmm. It is there to give you a light and sound show, to give you a certain feeling. Mm-hmm. Worship is no longer the giving of ourselves to God. Which begins, by the way, with God giving himself for us. Yes. That's our response to his first move. Absolutely. And, and, and the old Anglo-Saxon word, weoscrip, it's what we count worthy right. of devotion. Right. It's God. Yes. And also liturgy. Yes. Liturgy in the ancient church, you know, liturgy means of the people. Work of the people. And, you know, uh, it. I don't see that in contemporary worship services now that it's of the people. It's professionals on stage. Um Putting forth a performance. Lights dimmed in the audience. Mm-hmm. Not congregation. Mm-hmm. The audience. audience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and the project that we put together, Martyrs Project, is really, it's a challenge to it. Mm-hmm. What's going on now. Right. Um, probably in some sense it's a reaction against what's going on now. Well, you've got some heavy hitters, you know, with, you know, Going back, you know, on your album, as far as artists on the album itself, I mean, Phil Kagey, serious? Yes. I mean, yeah. that that's one of the biggest names in Christian, you know, music going back to when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, Randy Stonehill and, and others. I mean, this this is quite a project as far as who's involved in it. And again, the question is, you know, what will you die for? What are you willing to die for? 
But that's not what we're hearing so much today. In fact, you know, I talked about talked to you guys about this. I wanted to kind of take a little bit of what you guys are up to and kind of juxtapose it with what the common messages that we're hearing in broader evangelicalism. What I want to start with first, though, um, I want to play a little bit from the Oscar Romero uh, prayer that's. Uh, was recorded at uh, Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. That's yes. where the performance Kramer took. Chapel. Yeah, mm-hmm. Kramer Chapel. Mm-hmm. And we'll, I'll play a little bit of it. Um, and then what we'll do is I want to juxtapose this art, this piece here of Oscar Romero's prayer to one of the more common messages that we're hearing in broader evangelicalism today because something isn't adding on. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we're dealing with something very different. So let me play a little bit of uh, the Romero uh, prayer for our audience. Here we go. of my life let my blood bring liberty let my blood be a seed of freedom let my blood be a seed let my blood be a seed of freedom let my blood be a seed Let my death, if accepted by God, be for my people's liberty. And a sign that hope will soon be, soon be reality. Let my blood be a seed of liberty. Let my blood be a seed. Let my blood be a seed of liberty. Let my blood be a seed. So let my blood be a seed of liberty. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting in that, uh, in that cut, because there are two things that are happening. And, uh, 
one of them is just in the video, which is the static from the radio, mm-hmm. which, of course, is a reference to basically how uh, Monsignor Romero communicated with his flock, which was through the university radio station. And people would listen for his homilies to be broadcast. Weekly. We- weekly. Right. And additionally, and this is speaking truth to power again, he would name the names of those who had been shot in the previous week. Wow. On the air. <laughs> All Saints Day style, huh? Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, it was just amazing. Also in that cut, you hear an actual recording of the mass and the gunshot that killed him. Really? Uh, there was a nun who was there with a cassette recorder that was recording. And we were able to gain uh, access to that actual recording. That is the actual shooting. So that's in the cut on the album? Yes. Wow. Yeah. It's kind of amazing stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let my blood be a seed of liberty. He knows he's going to die. Yes. He knows he, he's going to be gunned down mm-hmm. for telling, it, telling El Salvador and the government to stop killing. Yes, and in uh, the bridge on that, uh, the phrase that we took uh, for the bridge was, uh, you know, you think that I should uh, pardon and bless those who are going to kill me. He says, I wish they just wouldn't waste their time. Mm -hmm. And there is something about that attitude of, I'm going to stand up no matter what. Right. Right. Um, It goes to, well, (laughs) one of our other martyrs on the uh, CD, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Mm Mm-hmm. The cost of discipleship. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you read the cost of discipleship and you compare it with 90% of what you see around you today. Right. Uh, I don't know that Bonhoeffer would even recognize it as Christianity. Well, I'm living in it, and so much of what I'm seeing is I don't recognize it as Christianity. I don't recognize it as biblical. It doesn't even. It, I can't find any uh, historical antecedents to it. Yes, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And l- let me let me play for you now this clip. This is a clip from a recent sermon that was featured on Oprah's Life Class. Okay, Oprah is considered to be a spiritual authority by many within Christianity, and uh, she had Joel Osteen on for two weeks in a row. Uh, the first week was to discuss the power of I am. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but. Isn't the I am of Scripture Jesus? Yes, and it speaks to uh, it speaks to a theological proposition that uh, is about the absolute transcendence of God. Right. Because, as a point of fact, grammatically, none of us can say I am. No. Because we just were. Yeah. We do not stand outside of time. Right. I am, Chaya, in the Hebrew, is the self-existing one. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, and none of us can say that we are self-existing. No. Okay, mm-hmm. or just are, or is, you know. It's, it, and, and I would take it, I would take it even a step further than that. Uh, 
You remember uh, in uh, Goethe's Faust, <laughs> he uh, he says that uh, Faust uh, uh, he said he lost his soul when he said to the moment, "Stay, yeah. thou art so fair." Huh. Yeah. He lost his soul when he wanted to be that one who could say, I am. Right. And that's Isaiah 14. I will ascend. I will. Yes. Now listen to this. This is this is Joel Osteen, and this is at Lakewood. Um, this is a former basketball arena for the Houston Rockets. The place is packed. Oprah is in the audience. And this is the message that they are receiving as the message of Christianity. And, you know, I think this creates a good juxtaposition to show just how out of step this project of yours really is. Here's Joel Osteen. Say it like you mean it. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today I will be taught the Word of God. I boldly confess my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same in Jesus' name. Let me pause there for a second. The Nicene Creed. (laughs) Who's that about? (laughs) I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, right? Mm -hmm. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Mm -hmm. That that creed is about the triune God. Yes. Mm -hmm. This creed is about me. Yes. Mm -hmm. Something's terribly wrong. Absolutely. We continue. God bless you. I want to talk to you today about the power of I am. What follows these two simple words will determine what kind of life you live. I am blessed. I am strong. I am healthy. Or I am slow. I am unattractive. I am a terrible mother. The I am's that are coming out of your mouth will bring either success or failure. All through the day, the power of I am is at work. We make a mistake. I am so clumsy. We look in the mirror. I am so old. We see somebody very talented. I am so average. We get caught in traffic. I am so unlucky. Many times we use the power of I am against us. We don't realize how it's affecting our future. Here's the principle. What follows the I am will always come looking for you. When you say, I am so clumsy, clumsiness comes looking for you. I am so old, wrinkles come looking for you. I am so overweight, calories come looking for you. It's just like you're inviting them. Whatever you follow the I am with, you're handing it an invitation, opening the door, giving it permission to be in your life. Now, the good news is you get to choose what follows the I am. When you go through the day saying, I am blessed, blessings come looking for you. I am talented, talent comes looking for you. You may not feel up to par, but when you say, I am healthy, health starts heading your way. What absolute rubbish. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't a faith that somebody would die for. It's not the Christianity that uh, that the early church fathers and these martyrs in the ancient church you know, died I re- for. I remember the martyrdom of Polycarp. Mm-hmm. Okay, I mean, this is an old man. He's in his eighties, and he's yes. and he's told he's literally told by the you know the Roman 
provincial governor to renounce his faith in Christ. He's about to be burned at the stake. Mm -hmm. And he wouldn't renounce his faith in Christ. It, it, you know, it was so simple. And I, I know as a student of church history, you, you recognize this. A, a sacrifice to the genius of the emperor in which basically all that you were required to do, it was a part just of a, civil religion. Just a pinch. You went up, you took a tiny pinch of incense between your thumb and forefinger yeah. and you put it on some hot coals and you walked away. Right. They would not do it. Yeah. They wouldn't say Caesar is Lord. No. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't. They would not. It it was not Kaiser Curias. It was yeah, right. Christos Curias. Exactly. It and the the point is it may sound so minor. What what would be wrong with offering that pinch of incense? What it's because their identity would be compromised as a Christian. Yeah. I'm going to make a word play here to tie in. Uh, speaking of I am, one of the martyrs on the, on the album, Carpus of Gerdo, um, in the 4th century. And uh, Carpus, and we have this on, on record, it's a, it's a uh, Roman it's, transcript, actually. It's preserved, yeah. Uh, Carpus was put on trial, put before them, and, and they kept asking him, what are you? Mm -hmm. What are you? You know, right. meaning they wanted him to say, you know, whatever, uh, pagan or this or that. Um, and finally, uh, he knew that it would be his death sentence he said, I am a Christian. Yeah. Speaking of I am. Yeah. And just those three words put him put him to death. Right. I am a Christian. Right. And and that would mean a little Christ or a follower of Christ. Somebody yes. who's connected to the crucified and risen Lord. My concern is is that the theology that I'm hearing in much of Christianity is not Kaiser Curios or Jesus Curios, but Ego Emi Curios. I would absolutely agree, and I would take it a step further. If you are someone who believes uh, in baptismal vows, uh, we have an Anglican, a Methodist, and a Lutheran mm -hmm. here in the room, um, your baptism is death. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what it's about. Yeah. You are dying to self. Even for um, evangelicals who believe in uh, adult baptism in, by immersion, mm -hmm. the understanding of it is death. Right. Um, it's it, right. In, in our baptisms, we are put into Christ's death and into his resurrection. Yes. And the scripture speaks of this in such a way that it is a such a true reality that we are now reckoned dead to sin, to death, to the devil himself. And it, it informs the real decisions. There's a, there's a wonderful film. Um, if your audience has not seen it, they, they should. It is a, it's a French film. It's called Of Gods and Men. And it is uh, subtitled in English. Uh, 
But it's about a little group of eight Trappist uh, monks in uh, present-day Algeria mm-hmm. who, during the most recent civil war, um, came under real threat from uh, some Islamic extremists. Mm-hmm. And the film is basically their discussions and talking about do they stay or do they go? Knowing that if they stay and continue to operate their clinic for the village that's by them, right. continue to provide food for the village that's beside them, that in all likelihood they will be killed. Right. And in one of the discussions, one of the brothers says to the father superior of the community, we don't have to make the decision of if we will stay and be martyred. We already made that decision right. at our baptism. Right. We already made that decision when we entered into this order. Right. And it's that reality. It is that reality. I think the martyrs um, bring us back down to earth as to what our Christian life is all about or should be all about. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, as Paul says in Galatians 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And the therefore then, just a few verses after that, is the therefore to go and be a doulos, a slave for your neighbor. We're set free mm-hmm. in Christ, not for self-actualization, but we're set free to be now true slaves and servants of our neighbors. Absolutely. And, and this is Paul's implication that in that beautiful Christological hymn in, in uh, Philippians chapter 2. You know, your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. Who humbled right. himself. Who, though he is in the very nature of God, did not yes. consider equality with God something to be grasped. grasped. That made himself a servant, right? Yes. Okay? This is our attitude that others are better than ourselves. Yeah. Servant, and remember... Even unto death. Death on a cross. Yes. Not just any old death. <laughs> yes. But that death. That horrific, shameful death. Yes. You know? And and I think that we can't know the number of our days. We can't no. we don't know if we're going to be called upon to that sort of sacrifice. But you know, as I was researching some of these martyrs again for a second time, uh, and I was uh, looking at the life of Bonhoeffer. Yes, his death was a tragic thing, and theologians can argue about whether it was true martyrdom because he was vo- caught up in the plot right, to yeah, assassinate yeah, Hitler. Yeah, Operation Valkyrie. But the fact that he was in New York in 1940, New York City, and could have stayed mm-hmm. in New York City. Oh, yeah. And could have taught at Union. Yep. And instead, he took the very last ship going back to Germany because he said, I cannot preach. I cannot preach about this unless I'm willing to go and suffer right. with the others. Right. With my people. It, it, exactly. And what... <laughs> There is a sense that real Christ-centered, cross-focused Christian doctrine and teaching makes it so that 
suffering and persecution are not abnormal things, but things that are to be expected and to rejoice in. I, I think of Acts chapter 5, where you know the, the apostles suffer their first real beating. Yes. Okay? And he, here's what it says in Acts chapter 5, verse 41. Then they, this, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. I I can't see that today's self-focused, self-actualized, purpose-driven, I am great and healthy and all this kind of stuff, Christianity, if you can even call it that, would lead somebody to rejoice had they just been flogged. I I will tell you, I I look at what I see around me in this current movement uh, within evangelicalism. And I would say it has about its relationship to the church, the real church, Mm -hmm. is somewhat similar to the relationship of the Gospels and Monty Python's Life of Brian. Yeah. I mean, it's just about that far removed. removed. Well, what's the big song at the end? Always look on the bright side of life. It could go it could go into it could go into a modern worship. Right. Quote unquote worship service. I I, I I'm surprised that uh, some enterprising megachurch pastor hasn't figured out how to weave that song into worship. Yes, because, exactly. You know, yeah. they wouldn't. They would not understand the irony of such a thing. But that's the message that they're preaching. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. It's you know, we went to a uh, a memorial service for a dear friend who recently uh, died, and we walked into this quote community church with a stage with the drums still set up and the amps for the praise band, so-called. There was not a cross. Mm -hmm. It was an auditorium, sort of. The basketball hoops were pulled up. What does this have to do with the Christian church? Even when our symbols are removed or set aside. Um, Have you been in Rome in the catacombs? Mm -mm, I have not. You go down, you see the scratches of crosses and Cairo's on the wall. Yep. The self-identification was with Christ. Yes, exactly. It wasn't an identification of saying... Well, Michael, you're a nice guy, and I like you, and I'm glad you're here with me worshiping today. And oh, well, Dwayne, I like you too. But I'm, what is that? Right. Yeah. The 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 Jesus they believe in is a life coach. Mm-hmm. He's the guy who's going to come and teach me how to use a day planner. Yeah. So that I can I can be everything that I can be. It, it, and it's as if you know the message that they're preaching is is that the Jesus that they believe in is all about you achieving some fantastic 
purpose and dream in life and you just got to dream super big and and say positive things about yourself look into the mirror and do the Stuart Smalley and say I'm good enough I'm smart enough and gosh darn people like me and then God will reward those audacious statements that you say about yourself with an audacious plan, an audacious goal, an audacious dream, an audacious vision, audacious life. And at the end of this, you can say, oh, it was so spectacular. It wasn't boring. It wasn't. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's at complete odds. It's at complete odds with the history of the Christian church yeah. and what we have known to be saintliness. Yeah. Um, uh how do you how do you wrap that up with a Francis of Assisi? Exactly, you can't. Um, how do you wrap it up with an Ignatius of Antioch, or Clement of Rome, Polycarp, uh, or Polycarp? How do you wrap it up with a Dietrich Bonhoeffer? You can't. Or an Oscar Romero? It's it's simply it's not even on the same level of things. And where is the humility? Of Christian leadership. Uh, I remember uh, John Keeble, holy John Keeble of the Oxford movement, who said that perhaps the greatest service he did to God is that he would go out on Sunday mornings and sweep the snow from the sidewalk of his church so that his parishioners could come in and worship with dry feet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that sort of humility, right? <laughs> or, or C.S. Lewis in *The Great Divorce*. Yeah, you know where the you know the, the the people travel from hell to heaven, and you know the people in heaven are pleading with them to stay. And there's this one husband who's having a conversation with his wife, who is a saint now, and and he ended up in hell. And while they're talking, there's great magnificent train this woman on a white horse and trumpets and the, and he was and he said, "Oh, she must have been an amazing saint." His wife says she was a washwoman in the south of London. Yes. <laughs> you know, you wouldn't have known her, but she, every one of the street urchins, she was their mother. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's uh, Brother Lawrence. He washed the dishes for this monastic community, renowned for his holiness. Um, I don't see any of that. No. And... I, I'll take it a, a, a step further as I as I look over into music right now, mm-hmm. and especially among contemporary Christian uh, musicians. What does it say that if I have the choice between going and hearing uh, "Mercy Me" or the Newsboys? Um. And going and seeing someone like Jackson Brown, mm-hmm. I'll probably hear more truth at a Jackson Brown concert. Yeah. Real truth. Yeah. In fact, I, I, had, I, I mentioned this on the phone with you. I had just read an article where somebody had quipped that, um, that Mick Jagger is the only person in secular rock and roll that when he adds the word Jesus to a song, it makes it better. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Provocative statement. But see, the thing is, is that, you know, I don't know the Jesus that so much of contemporary Christian worship sings to. It, it reminds me of some bearded, castrated dude that I'm supposed to be French kissing. The way they describe him. I'm not comfortable with that Jesus. And he's strangely metrosexual, you know, mm-hmm. and he has nothing to do with the carpenter of Nazareth and Galilee. 
Well, you you go back to Lewis, you know, it's, uh, you know, when the Jesus becomes the sort of comfortable cat yes. who, who's in the corner of the room curled up. Yes. Mm-hmm. What know. we're hoping through the Martyrs Project is that people get down to looking at why, through those prayers, the passion that was there, right, the love for God, the love for the church. Yeah. Uh we hope that that's rediscovered or for, for some just discovered flat out. Right. And that it challenges their faith to, you know, say, well, how can I live out my faith um, in re- reflecting on their lives, what they gave, how they sacrificed, and their humility? Um, we're hoping that that gets out there. Yeah. And, uh, hope that it flies in the face of current evangelical thought. Right. Well, the thing I like about the project in, you know, in our conversations, it, despite the fact that we're going to have differing views regarding different theologians and some of the martyrs there, the mm-hmm. thing I like about the project is that it's provocative. The thing I like about it is, is that it, it, this is the first real intentional effort that I've seen in decades, decades to try to do something artistic that addresses this aspect of Christianity, this conclusion of Christianity, and it's so out of step with what we're hearing and seeing and what's being packaged and sold to us that mm. um, that I think it needs to uh, I need it needs to be heard. It needs to be listened to with the understanding that that. There, there are martyrs that you're going to disagree with who are martyrs on this project. Yes. There are mm-hmm. artists with whom you're going to have significant theological differences with on this project. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, um, and at the same time, what is being said, what has been put to music needs to be heard. And the scandal of much of it needs to be thought about. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. We're hoping that also, secondly, with the, the purpose of the project is an educational tool for the church. Yeah. People are not looking at church history. They're not, it's not presented to them. Right. Uh, hardly at all, if at all, mm-hmm. in their churches. Yeah. Uh, the church fathers, who are they? No one knows right. who they are. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. They don't know church history historical contexts of saints that changed the world uh, and through their, through their lives and through their deaths. But uh, we we're hoping that it's a tool that will bring about education on those, on saints in general and on the church history of of putting it in context. I I, I recently put out a blog post where I asked the question, have you ever heard of King Agbar of Edessa and his story? (laughs) Okay. Uh And the response I got from people is they'd never heard of him. And I took, I basically just took a snippet from Eusebius's ecclesiastical history. And it's a fantastic story. Yes. It's an amazing story. And it's, it's the only historical account that we know of where Jesus actually corresponded with somebody. And, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. a, a, you know, Agbar of Edessa was the king of Edessa, and he had heard of the miracle worker Jesus. You know, he had yes. heard of this miracle worker, and um, and he heard that he was in trouble 
with the powers that be within uh, within Judaism in his own in his own country. And Agbar sends uh, basically sends emissaries with a, a letter from him saying, you know, I've heard that you can work miracles. You know, I myself am suffering. You know, could you come to Odessa? I will give you a, I will give you a, a sanctuary here, and you would be happy. You and I would be happy in our own kingdom, and I would protect you. Okay, it, this is what he says, right? Yes. And and, and the way uh, Eusebius tells the story is is that Jesus actually writes a letter back, in, and basically says thank you, and he, he says, "Blessed are you who believe in me, even though you have not seen me." And he says, uh, "He says once I have finished my mission, I will send one of my disciples to you." And and church history tells us that uh, you see, that Thaddeus, one of the disciples, goes to Edessa and he heals the king of his disease. He preaches the gospel, and people come yes. to believe in Christ. And it's this amazing story; no one's ever heard of it. Yes. And what I, if I mean, in the United States, you can't even become a citizen if you were from a foreign country and you wanted to become a citizen of the United States. They steep you in, you know, George Washington, the Revolutionary War, you know, yes. Thomas Jefferson, the Declaration of Independence, even the Civil War. So you cannot become a citizen without knowing the history of the United States. How is it that we are not teaching our own history, you know, with this in mind, that the kingdom of God and the citizens of the kingdom of God, this is more important history than any history of any individual nation state? It's, right. it's a betrayal, in my mind, uh, of the work of the Holy Spirit, because what we're willing to say, essentially, is the Holy Spirit only works now, yeah. here, today. Exactly. The Holy Spirit has not worked in the church for 2,000 years, except right now, here, today. That's rubbish. Yeah. It, it sets aside and denigrates the work of the Spirit of God through centuries. Right. Mm -hmm. Not only that, it, it tacitly says that Jesus was a liar when he said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Absolutely. He was not lying. The gates of hell have not prevailed against the church. And true Christ-centered, gospel-preaching Christianity has existed on this planet from the day that Christ ascended until today. And it yeah. is a slap in the face of Christ and the kingdom of God and those who've preceded us, who we worship with on Sunday morning. You know, mm -hmm. that's who we truly worship with. We are we are part of the church, Catholic, the, the, the saints who are departed as well as the saints who are here. We are all in communion with each other. Mm -hmm. And it's a slap against the face of them to not even know the battles that they've waged, the cost that they have literally sacrificed in prof professing the faith that we confess today. Right. And I, I think as well, it sets up an ignorance, an ignorance that is harmful. It is harmful to the corporate nature of the body of Christ. Yeah. You know, it's so easy, it's so easy, especially for evangelicals, to say, well, I don't know anything about Roman Catholicism. All I know is they've got a pope. I don't like the idea of the pope, da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. Well, you know, it's one thing if you recognize uh, the popes of the Renaissance period who led armies, had mistresses, and all the rest. It's a little bit different when you've got a pope currently who is given over to prayer and is an authority on St. Augustine. Yeah. 
don't we have to take that a little bit seriously? <laughs> well, and on top of it, we're going to talk about church history. Then let's talk about the historic role that the Bishop of Rome has played within Christianity prior to the rise of Islam. Yes. Yeah, we could talk about the tension between the Bishop of Rome and the Bishop of Alexandria and the constant testing and political you know, infighting that went on there. And then what happened to Christianity once we lost North Africa? Yes. And in the in the power vacuum that created within the bishoprics of, of, of Christianity. And and you know I think the other part of this is is that this self actualization and this idea that everything must be successful and super and grand and great. Saint Augustine who wrote about the city of God. That's right. He's in his cell dying as the Goths and the Vandals are outside the city tearing down right. the walls right. in North Africa. Yet he could still write about hope. It, it, hope isn't about right now, the no. present moment. Right. It's looking beyond ourselves. Yeah. It's really dying to self. Right. But see, all of this world is going to come to an end. There is a day in which, as the Nicene Creed says, he, Jesus, will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. The scripture says that heaven and earth will pass away. All of this, in fact, Christ has sentenced all of this to death so that he can raise it again to new life mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. back to music uh, the music of the church today especially evangelical church there is no insertion of any kind of the saints I mean they might be referred to mm -hmm. but there is no uh, reference to those Saints in church history, uh, events in church history that are significant, that are very educational to our faith and our spirituality, if you will, yeah. and our journeys. Uh, there's there's no reference to it at all. It's bankrupt of any kind of church historical teaching well, don't and you think, meat. Yeah. Don't uh, you think that part of that's arrogance? Uh in terms of the modern evangelical church, because it's saying there's nothing else out there that's yeah. of value yeah. except right here within our little community right, or the latest David Crowder CD <laughs> or the latest Chris Tomlin CD. Yeah. Maybe there's a hit worship song. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, it's an arrogance that says... Uh, nothing else is important. You know, I go back to Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, during the 30s, there was a real renewed interest in uh, Gregorian chant mm -hmm. and plain song, which Bonhoeffer shared uh, and believed very much in, uh, in uh, people knowing about this. Mm -hmm. But as things progressed in Germany... I can remember he did a sermon, I think it was at the Kaiser Wilhelm Strasse Church, Kirk. Uh, 
in which he said, uh, you can't sing Gregorian chant unless you're willing to cry out for the Jews. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to say to Christians, yeah. Jews are being taken away. Yeah. They're being dragged out of their houses in front of you. Right. And you're so concerned about singing Gregorian chant. You can't do Gregorian chant if you're not willing to cry out for the Jews. Right. And I see with all that is taking place in our society today, where are the evangelical Christians in terms of having an impact upon the society, having an impact upon the arts, having an impact upon uh, the political process even? Mm -hmm. If... If we have these churches of 30,000 people, what is their impact? Mm -hmm. Well, their, their impact on the culture is, is that they've canonized all of the vulgar ugliness of our culture, have embraced it and baptized it and said that, oh, we can get along with this. In fact, let's, let's add Jesus to it and make it even better. Yeah. You know, and let's talk about Bonhoeffer for a second. There is a, a lot of theological wrestling that has to be done in understanding what Bonhoeffer did and his participation in Operation Valkyrie desired, you know, literally to to have Hitler assassinated. Mm -hmm. And there's a real struggle that people have. But one of the things I think that people do not take into consideration and very few talk about is the context of what happened in Christianity with the Deutsche Christian movement. Yes. Okay. We're talking about swastikas on the altar. Yes. We're talking about uh, you know Christians in Germany literally setting about to de-Judaize Christianity. Mm -hmm. And the okay. state bishops and all. The, yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So on the one hand, yes, there's some real theological wrestling you need to do with Bonhoeffer. But the thing is, is that that wrestling cannot be done apart from the context of the Nazification of Christianity that yes. was taking place. Right. And what happened is, is that the Christians in Germany were doing the same thing in their period that evangelicals are doing today. They are letting the culture decide what's to be in church. And in the Deutsche Christian movement, the swastika showed up and all the references to the Jews went out. Yes, mm -hmm. okay. absolutely. And here in America, the home of rugged individualism, I am now the I am rather than Christ. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's the same project with just different trappings. And and you realize what did what did Bonhoeffer do in reacting to that? Yeah. Uh there are several things. A he formed a small community. Mm -hmm. And he taught. Right. And he encouraged reading and independent study. Yeah. And when the time came, he made decisions. Yeah. The decision to return to Germany to stand with the people. Yeah. He could have even, and he acted, you know, as a double agent during the war. It is, most people agree that he probably could have gotten out of Germany, even in 43. Mm-hmm. And made it across to Sweden, made it across to Switzerland. He had the contacts. He could have done it. Yep. He chose not to. And part of this is a choice. How am I going to stand for my faith? Yeah. 
How am I going to stand? Um, the great regret, probably, is how close the war was to an end when he was killed. <laughs> it was practically criminal what happened to him. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I very much like uh, Metaxas's uh, uh, new biography, but I think it. I think it takes away something because his death at the end has been mythologized. Yeah. Of that he was led gently out to a scaffold and prayed there and did this and did. No, he was taken out to a white stucco wall that had meat hooks stuck in it. And a piece of piano wire was put around the meat hook and he was slowly strangled to death with the piece of piano wire. And it probably took him about an hour to die. Yeah. That's the reality. That's the reality. And I think that what we're trying to do with the Martyrs Project is to say to people, look at what's real. Right. Life and death, Mm -hmm. they're real. Yeah. People's commitment to faith is real. Right. And they shed their blood. Yes. Yes. And the Christianity that has become prevalent today, they wouldn't, I mean, they'd think that God has cursed them if they have a hangnail. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. And yet the scriptures say that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, hope, and proven character. It's that suffering does this. Suffering is the normal thing here in this life as we wait for the curse to be lifted. And our lives don't have a straight trajectory. No. Mm-hmm. None of our lives are straight lines. Mm-hmm. None Seems of to them. me that the contemporary church is, uh, you know, my, my ideal thought of a faith community is I, I try to find my calling. What has God called me to do? And we all help each other find our callings, mm-hmm. whatever that calling may be. Um, it's not necessarily self-help things. Oh, you know, maybe that enters in, but, uh, you know, what what is your calling? And that when you find that calling, you can live it out with the, with great joy yeah. and knowing that I'll, I'll sacrifice everything because I know that this is what I'm supposed to do and this is what God has called me to do. The church should help, the, your community of faith should help you find that. And part of that is educating people on how other people have found their callings right. and church history and context thereof. Uh, you know, um, I don't think that's happening very much. And at the end of the day, the calling is to serve. Yeah, that's right. You it's know, it's if always you generalized yeah, today. Yeah. It is service. It is to serve. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't. I you know. I look at scripture, and I don't think that this. I think we've we've made it difficult by like two point five, you know, by a factor of two point five, because it's so clear in scripture the therefores that come as a result of the gospel. Yes. And the therefores are so common and so ordinary and so despised. But it's so simple, okay? Love and service to neighbor comes in this. Uh, In light of the gospel, then, husbands, serve your wives. Mm -hmm. You know, as Christ has served the church, give your lives up for wives, you know, respect and submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. It's 
it's not anything that isn't tangible. It's something very tangible, flesh and earth. It's, it's being a good husband, a good wife, uh, a respectful son or daughter, uh, a good citizen within the country that you live. Paul admonishes the Thessalonians to work quietly with their hands, making enough money to provide for themselves and for those in need. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's, it's, we've, we, you know, we have this idea that it, it can't be this simple. But see, yeah. that's the message. Yeah. It really Absolutely. is. It is. It, Absolutely. It really is that simple. So that, therefore, I can say that sitting in a PTA meeting or, um, you know, my wife cooking a meal. These are the things that please God because God tells us to do these simple things. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's done with an attitude of service. That's yeah. that's the point. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me, you know, as, I, as I've been going through materials to uh, publicize the project and, and right. all the rest, uh, ran through the top 200 Christian blogs. About 75 of them are about leadership. Yeah. Now, I used to say to Michael, if you want to know what a preacher's problem is, find out what he preaches about all the time. And that's going to tell you. And you know, when I see 75 of the top 200 Christian blogs are about leadership, what strikes me is that's probably what's missing. (laughs) <laughs> is leadership. That's yeah. probably the problem. Yeah. It's leadership. Because leadership in the Christian community, as our Lord said, is not as the world exercises it. Yeah, and, and yet that's exactly what they're promoting, the leadership of the world, the leadership yeah. of the CEO, the leadership of the vision-casting leader or, the, or whatever. It's not Jesus, servant leadership. The, Jesus led by washing feet. Yes. Jesus led... By being coronated as king with a crown of thorns, stark naked, having been beaten and scourged and then literally stuck to a cross with nails driven through his hands and his feet. That's that's his coronation as king. Yes. So lead like that. Yes. And, you know, it goes back to this thing that I was saying earlier about a crossless Christianity. Um. The crosses aren't just missing from the uh, so-called sanctuaries or auditoriums of yeah. these places. The cross is missing from their theology. Yep. The cross is missing from their lives. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And they're the poorer for it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because the real Jesus is so much more sublime than their their life coach, Jesus, their self-actualization, their leader, Jesus, the one that tells us to come and die. He has us suffer because that ultimately will result in our greatest joy. Yes. But not here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's, it's one of those things that the church, the evangelical church by and large has gone with trends. Yeah. And in going with the trends, I think they've left historic Christianity way behind. Right. And and they've they've allowed their numerical success to blind them to that fact. Yes. And <laughs> 
we we have talked about the denominations within the United States and how they are slowly falling to bits. And the silliness is many of the denominations are doing the same exact sort of thing in a different way. Right. Um, a friend brought me a notebook from the latest uh, Episcopal uh, convention that was held in Indianapolis. And we spent a very amusing time going through the resolutions that were being offered yeah. at the convention. The resolutions that do nothing and accomplish nothing but give yourself a big pat on the back for, Absolutely. for voting for it. You, you know, yeah. let's right. vote and say that we're appalled by hunger in Darfur. Oh, Wow. Well, boy, that solved that problem, Michael. Isn't that's that right. great? That yeah. that's all done that. now. We voted for that, and uh, well, what else? Uh, oh, yes, we did have the funeral plans for pets. That that came up as well. That's so right. Fido is now all right. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. Um, I was worried about Fido. you know. And then we yeah. we important did, things. Yes, yes, and you know. Uh, Transsexuals uh, being brought into ministry as well um, because we don't want to leave anybody out. And, uh, and, and we are still upset about Native Americans. So we did pass a resolution um, apologizing to Native Americans for I, the introduction of Christianity to the continent. Oh, yes, that plague. You yeah. know, what a, what a terrible thing. And as we went through the notebook... <laughs> Michael was saying, well, I was just at the Methodist conference in uh, Iowa. Yeah. I could bring you the exact same notebook. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We go through resolutions. We say these, and it means nothing. Yeah. It means nothing. It's symbolically vapid. Yes. You know, but it makes you feel good because you voted for it. Just like going to your local community church where you have self-indulgent worship songs in an audience, not congregational, audience setting. You hear an inspirational talk, and all of that makes you feel better and has absolutely no effect on the world outside the door. Yeah. Where's the preaching? Like Peter. Yes. You crucified the Lord of life. You did it. Yes. Where's that preaching? Where he calls people to repent, and at the end of it, they say, "Brothers, what shall we do?" You know, I, I believe in historic Christianity. Uh, I love liturgy. That's a given. Mm-hmm. But you know, I can take the preaching of Billy Graham, and I might say, "Well, the theology isn't as deep as I would like it." Uh, Maybe this isn't said the way I would like it. Maybe culturally it's removed from me. Mm -hmm. But I can deal with that because at least there is something that is there or was there. Yes. Mm -hmm. I can deal with that. Yeah. I remember C.S. Lewis, uh, one time he had a critic, um, an Anglican bishop, had said that he had, that there were theological errors in some of his books. And and C.S. Lewis, you know, I, I, this is my paraphrase of it. He basically said to, something to the gist of, I, I don't doubt that there are theological errors. I, I'm a layman, not a theologian. But let me ask you, what are you doing to reach the masses with the gospel of Jesus Christ? 
Yes. What are you doing? Yes. You know, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. so here's the deal. We could, we can continue and we ought in some ways to curse the darkness because the darkness is so blasted dark. Yes. You know, but the thing I like about your project is that it reminds us of those who shined the light of Jesus and it, the light turned crimson red with their own blood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, in some ways it calls us in ways that we haven't been called in a long time to come and die the way they have. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because always the church has grown with the blood of the martyrs. That's right. And, you know, it's, it's so interesting to me. Uh, Tertullian, of course, yeah. said that. And I call him a renegade charismatic theologian, yeah, which he, I think is probably a pretty I, good I, description. The more, I, the more I wrestle with him, the more I think that's, you know, yeah. his, his Montanist uh, leanings. Yes. You know, I think that's a good way of describing that movement. But it tells us something. Not everyone has to be perfect to speak the truth. Yeah. I, well, no one is. That's right. Yeah. We don't have all the I's dotted and T's crossed. Yeah. But we do recognize that there's a truth. Yeah. And Lewis was right when he talked about it in the reading of old books. He says that every generation of Christians has made mistakes. Every one of them. Yes. But the reason why you need to read old books is because they're not making the same mistakes you're making. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know. And so we can look back on Tertullian and we can say, yeah, you know. God, you know, <laughs> that little thing that he had going on. It, uh, but see, that's the thing is, is that I can't think of a single church father that I can embrace wholeheartedly as inerrant. There isn't one. No. Only the apostles and the prophets and Christ give us the inerrant word of God. And so everybody who proclaims the gospel, you're going to look at their lives and go, ooh, that was messy. Or, ooh, that's not quite that. Or Because why? Because each and every one of us were sinner saints. Yeah. yeah. And we're living out our life, and it isn't a straight line. No. And I think even in putting this project together, it's a recognition by Michael and myself. Life's not a straight line. Right. Did we think we were going to be doing this at this point in our lives? No. But it was there to do. Yeah. And it serves neighbor in, in doing yes. so. It Absolutely. really does. That's the thing it does. It serves neighbor by showing neighbor what neighbor needs to see, not necessarily what neighbor wants to see. Yes. Yeah, and the, 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 you, you don't have to die deaths like these folks to live out your your faith uh right you can die maybe in a different way um but but no i think you're right not calling to we don't expect people to go well okay i guess i have to go out and risk my life for christ now well uh no you need to give up your life be a servant that's what that's what we hope uh it right. calls people to, and I think I think it makes sense if you put it in this context that the daily Christian life is a daily dying to self. Yes, right. yes. it's a daily it's a daily dying to self and serving and loving neighbor in your yes. vocation, mm-hmm. and by taking up your cross daily, that should you be called upon to actually be nailed to the cross, you'd say, yeah, that's the logical consequence of what I've been doing already. Yeah, yes, it and just follows. Yeah, we as we put the project together as well, we really tried. I mean, in the liner notes. You have small biographies of each of the martyrs that we yeah. cover. And 
additional resources to find out more. And we've tried to do it in ways that are compelling. Yeah. Um, for Beckett, yeah, there's a great biography by Frank Barlow uh, that's a standard. Mm -hmm. There's another biography that has just come out that's very, very good. But, you know, we also tell people, watch the Peter Grinville movie, yeah. Beckett. Yeah. Mm -hmm with O'Toole and Burton. It's going to give you a really good look. And not only that, maybe look at T.S. Eliot's Murder in the Cathedral, yeah. which is a theologically profound yep. play. Mm -hmm. And you can even stage that play if you want to within your own congregation and know more about Beckett and know more what this is all concerning. Right. So we've tried to do it as friendly resources. Not just for the scholar, not just for somebody who's wanting to get a higher degree in church history or something. Right. But in the popular mode to to see the things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People can click on links and get educated. Yeah. Good. And, and be challenged in their faith. Good. So they can get it at the Martyrs Project. Dot com. The martyrsproject.com. Now, are you guys on iTunes as well? We are on yes. iTunes. We are on Amazon. Okay. We are on Twitter. We are on Facebook. Okay. The martyrsproject.com. Provocative in just the right way, I think, at just the right time. So thank you, gentlemen, for coming. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. So what'd you think? Would love to get your feedback. Again, visit the martyrsproject.com and uh, send me your feedback at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian till tomorrow. May God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>